Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Well, we are now live streaming. Oh. On Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure uh, people were listening in to our interesting conversation about tractors and uh, soda stream wine. But uh, thank you to anyone who's tuning in to the Words and Nerds live stream and podcast. It'll be on the Facebook page forever if you want to catch up on it later. And it'll also be available as a podcast episode as well. Super excited today to welcome Michael Trant. Michael writes with an authentic rural voice, drawing on his experiences to open readers to places and lifestyles foreign to many. We are here on this very special live stream to launch this book. Wild Dogs, Michael Tran's thrilling novel. How you going, Michael? Um, I'm stoked. I'm having a hell of a time today. It's great. Yeah, people <laughs> saying nice things about me. It's brilliant. Oh, excellent. You had your wine. You didn't have. You had your champagne, not your Soda Stream wine. Uh, no, um, Kylie made me go out and buy some proper um, champagne. So yes, got Lovely. that. Lovely. I yeah. would like to have known what the Soda Stream wine was, but you know, next time maybe this day is deserving of wine. Yeah, when I get a bit <laughs> desperate, so. <laughs> Now, welcoming to the live stream, as well as you can see for yourself, we have the legendary Holden Shepherd. <laughs> and the prolific Alan Baxter. He's a legend, and I just write a lot. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. They're both great compliments. <laughs> your, your, your social media head, headers with all those books just lined up on that, that, that looks... That looks awesome. It does look nice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do like that. It's, 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 an, it's a good flex. <laughs> really good. I like it. It is. Okay, so if you're watching from home or wherever you are, actually, and you have a question for Michael or Alan or Holden or myself, put it in the comments and throughout the interview, I will have a look at what you're saying and give you a shout-out and uh, make sure you ask Michael all the hard questions. He's had a couple of glasses of champagne. He's ready to confess everything that you want him to confess. But first up, we're going to, Alan's got questions and Holden's got questions, but I'm going to start. Michael, set the scene. Elevator pitch, hit us. All righty. So Wild Dogs is about an old trapper working in the um, WA Outback dog trapper. He's um, trapping dingoes and wild dogs out there and he's going about his own business. He's sort of done with the world. He's lost his wife. He's he's just, he's a loner. He's happy on his, with his own company and he's trapping dogs and he stumbles across a people smuggling operation and in the process rescues a Afghan refugee who's about to be shot and thrown down a big hole and turns out um, the people smugglers have now bringing the people direct to the WA coast because of the whole Manus Island thing, so they've decided to go direct. And, yeah, so Amin's family is still with the smugglers and Amin manages to convince Gabe because Gabe's doing a few things that are not quite legal at the time, so they don't want to get the cops involved, to go off and find Amin's son and wife and, yeah, inv- adventure ensues. Mm, so a very light-hearted story then. Yes, 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 lots of... <laughs> 
fluffy, lighthearted. Yeah, fluffy, lighthearted stuff. Um, yeah. And before we get to a question, Holden's got a great question. We have a hello from Rockingham in WA from Nola. Hello, Nola. We've got Raphael also online. I know him. I know him. <laughs> We've got Lisa Kenway, Louise Lambeth, and Danuka McKenzie all commenting and saying hello and happy to be here. So thank you for joining us. And if you hello. Have a- and I reckon Danuka is. The one woman PR team at the moment, she has just given everyone a shout out and she's got her own book coming. Well, I think she's doing one with you in two days' time. Tomorrow, tomorrow. actually. The live yeah, stream yes. will be here again at 8 o'clock p.m. Sydney time tomorrow. So yeah, I can't wait great. for that one. I'm looking forward to that book for sure as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. But about you, Michael, about you. <laughs> Holden, hit us with a question. All right. I have I have a question I'm going to ask, but I actually just thought of another one. You can, you can do whatever you want, Holden. Oh, yeah. No, I'll, in case he talks about it, I will hold off the Jero-based question. Okay. I know what you're going to talk about. In case you use it in your answers. Okay. But then if you don't, can I come back and ask it? Yeah, well, I know what it is. This is intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him talk about it in an interview the other day. I'm, like, I'm sure this is a thing. Um, okay, so my question to you, Michael Trent. You have lived and worked in the Australian bush and or outback for most of your life. And obviously the setting that's wild dogs is literally, you know, it's set in that part of the world in the Midwest in the Murchison and the Gascoigne. Um, so I was curious, firstly, the way you use the setting, but do you think readers from urban backgrounds have massive misconceptions about people who live in the bush? And was that part of why you wanted to do that? You've reflected some really interesting characters, rural characters. So did you want to reflect that to kind of tackle some of those misconceptions or just to reflect what you know? What was the kind of motivation? Uh, not so much this time around. Um, probably the first one, Ridgeview Station, was written to maybe open a few eyes to what it's like living out there. Um, and even things that I'd never actually considered in the book, people thought, oh, I didn't actually realise that. Or something like, like mobile phone service, like you couldn't just make a phone call. Um, that was still a surprise to some people. Um, and even when we had tourists coming out there, they were surprised that we used to light a fire under a big steel drum to get hot water because there's no gas, there's no you know, electricity. It's not unless you're running a generator all the time, but it's easier just to use wood and boil the water the old way. So, yeah, but in this time, I just wanted the setting there because it's just that remoteness and just the vastness out there and trying to have a, like a character like Amin who comes from Afghanistan, which is also pretty vast, but... Um, to have that character alone in the bush not knowing where he was and he sort of does have to grab hold of Gabe because the alternative is to um, try and find his way out on his own. So, so yeah, but it's, it is just a, it's a lovely setting and I, I'm, I've been out there enough times I can write it quite comfortably. Like if I tried to write a story set up in the Kimberley, I would struggle because I've never been up there. I've never been that far north. So you write what you know and I, I do know the, the setting. I know what it feels like to be out on a 45-degree day, so it's not too hard to um, imagine what a character might be feeling. No, you nailed it really well. Just it, It's cool being a you know, Midwest reader, uh, it, soaking that up, you know, hearing people say stuff about Geraldton or about other places that you know. It, it felt so authentic and you've done that brilliantly. So yeah. well, well, see, I mean, I found the same thing with Invisible Boys. You know, when you mentioned the chook shed, I mean, I knew what that meant. Uh, yeah. Yes. But no one else would, but we do because we've been there. So it's those little Easter eggs for the for the locals, you know, and I yeah. think that's nice when you're reading something, it sort of cements it in reality, even if the story is ridiculously far-fetched or whatever. If you can cement it into that reality, it makes it more believable. Mm. So, yeah, and you've done that so well. We've got a few more people jumping on the live stream. We've got Poppy, hello from Brisbane. Kai saying, let's go with party hats. Aileen says, hi, guys, so exciting. 
Ray. Hello, Mum. Hi, Mum. That's my that's my personal PR agent. Oh, I love it. Hi, Mum. Um, Ray says, don't spoil too much. Hello from France. That's cool. Uh, congratulations, mate, says Kevin. Veronica says, hello from FNQ. Where's FNQ? What's oh, FNQ? North Queensland. Uh, North Queensland. All right. Sorry for being unknowing. Uh, Alicia, coming at you from Sydney. Shelley from Canberra. We're everywhere. And we have a question uh, from someone from the live stream. Nola says, what are your writing routines? uh personally i don't really have one it's fits and starts like if i'm if i'm at work up on the farm whatever depending what i'm doing i'll sometimes write by hand in the in the machine i'm operating but that also depends on what i'm operating but a lot of time i'm just sort of thinking about it in my head and then i might get up early the next morning and write or i might do a bit when i get home but when i'm in perth i've generally got free time well i'm not working so um, I usually get up before my partner, Kylie, so I generally get up about 5.30, 6 o'clock, make a coffee, sit in front of the computer, try and do a few words just to get it out of the way. And that's sort of how I met Holden and the other WA crew here is through the 5am Writers Club, you know, get mm-hmm. up, get it done before the day starts, before your kids get up, before you've got to start getting ready for work. And then you can attack the day and not sort of worry about, oh, I've got to get home and get, get my 100, 200, 5,000 or 500 words or whatever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes the pressure off. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of – so that's pretty much my routine. Um, this time around will be interesting because I've now got a deadline to meet, which I've never had before. So, <laughs> yeah, that we'll see how that goes. So you get up at 5 a.m.-ish and you write. How long would you write for in the morning? Uh, when I'm working, usually till 7. Okay. I sort of start getting you – know, unless, unless we're really busy, I start to get out there a bit earlier. But, yeah, so 7 o'clock. Yeah, decent chunk ready. of time. Yeah, get out to work. So it, it, you do that every day, it, it adds up. And before you yeah. know it, you've got 10, 20,000 words sitting there. Yeah. You can it's do like something that, with them. It's like that thing where they say, I forget what it's called, but even if you do something 15 minutes every day in a year, yeah. I'm really bad at maths, but it's a, heaps of hours <laughs> and yeah. you actually get something done. So two yeah. hours, you can write a great novel like this. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, yeah. what have you got? What do you got for Michael? Well, I was thinking about the... Um, there's the old, the standard adage, you know, like, does the dog die in this is your, is your basic principle, right? Um, and it's like, you never kill the dog, man. You never kill the dog. So then Michael comes along and he goes, I'm going to write a, do- a book about a dog killer. <laughs> so now, obviously, we're talking about wild dogs. We're talking about managing the land and stuff like that. And in the book, you do deal with that really well. You explain it very well. And there are moments even, which I thought was a lovely touch, there are moments from a dog point of view. Um, but how did you how did you decide to sort of work your way around that? Did, was that an issue for you? Were you concerned about that being an issue, like, as a premise? Uh, not too much because... I try and write authentically. So if the scene calls for something realistic, I will describe it. Like, So trapping dingoes and wild dogs is a part of life out there. Mm. Um, it's not a very pleasant part of life, but neither is marking calves or marking lands. It's just part of the job that you've got to do. So I don't really like leaving that sort of stuff out. And especially a lot of that was... Um, part of the setup too if you know what I mean like explaining Gabe how methodical he is and the sort of skill he's skill set he has which he can sort of then utilize later for for other things in the book so yeah and I, but I knew some people will sort of 
react to that. But it's, it always strikes me as funny that you can describe a, head's, a guy's head being blown off with a shotgun and that's fine, but if a dog gets run over, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's just... Things I've done to people in my books and yeah. uh, nobody bats an eyelid, but, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it is a weird double standard. Yeah, and which is, you know, it's understandable with dogs and pets and everything, and that's the sort of yeah. distinction you've got to make. Like, these are wild animals, especially the wild dogs, like the ferals, like, they're just a plague. They're just a... I mean, they'll, they'll decimate the landscape if they get enough of them get up because they, they don't act like the dingo does. So it's, yeah. they're two different things. Um, and, yeah, it's just part of bringing that sort of gritty realism, which I try and bring to most of my stuff, actually. Mm. There's a website that says um, it's about books and whether the dog dies at the end because there are some people who won't read the book if the dog dies there's a website you can check does the dog die or not how bizarre right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, di- I didn't know that rule when i started and i soon found that out you just broke them all <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> but it's interesting how well you handled it because it this is why i wanted to bring it up because mm. that you you build an entire narrative around what this guy does and it becomes an intrinsic part of the landscape and it becomes an intrinsic part of the story which is what makes it so fascinating mm. which i think uh, yeah i well, as soon as i because i'm i'm all about dogs i like dogs more than yeah. people generally speaking no, I, I, uh, I love so dogs as soon too as i started reading it it was like oh crikey and <laughs> it was really good how well it was managed throughout the course of the book and it you, yeah it's as you say it's essential it's part of life they would just destroy everything else otherwise so yeah i think i think a lot of that also comes from explaining what you do on sheep stations and farms which i was doing yeah. through my blog to an audience that generally doesn't understand a lot of how it goes so i mean i got into writing through the whole live export debacle and trying to explain some of that while yes a lot of it what things can happen there that aren't nice and shouldn't happen but at the same time and it's just just sort of explaining those unpleasant aspects to people who don't really want to accept that there's a pleasant aspect to it certainly helped writing about an un, rather unpleasant job you know whether it's roo shooting or trapping dogs or you know if you're working in an abattoir or something i'm pretty sure no one gets up to go work in an abattoir thing yay let's go to, like it's just a job and it's what you're going to do so yeah it's just a fact of life sometimes mm. right. Nola, who's watching the live stream, agrees and said authenticity counts. That's why research is so important. So was it more a lived experience for you than research? Uh, not so much the dog trap. And I went, I went to a few courses to learn how to do it, but I never had any, never had any luck. Um, it, is a, it is an art form, um, one which I never really managed to do. I was a bit too casual, sort of, oh, that'll be right. But it doesn't work like that. You've got to be meticulous. So um, that side of things... I sort of had in the back of my head how it all works. I'm just hearing the professionals talk about how they do it and everyone everyone does it different. And I'm pretty sure if anyone actually does it and reads the book, we'll pick up a few things that I've got wrong. Um, I was more researching things like guns and calibers and how long does it take for a body to decompose or rigor mortis to set in. I don't know any of this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that was about the only research I did. And actually, oh, the re- oh, a lot of the research was on the... Um, refugee side of things like a realistic of how um i mean got to australia mm-hmm. um and also i'd read up a lot on uh islamic prayer and times and things like that because there's a clash between the two characters um so i was very fortunate to have um rahanti aja hill um do a sensitivity read for me and she gave me so much oh, just wow. little things that you wouldn't you don't pick up when you're reading an article on the internet mm-hmm. There's a couple of scenes she said this wouldn't work because that's actually not, you know, that's 
what he's doing there is quite offensive. So, oh, I can use that. And yeah, so yeah, it was it was really eye-opening actually, yeah. Yeah, really interesting. I like about, you know, the decomposing bodies and everything because it's just another writer's search history, right? It really is. Like we, <laughs> yeah, we, are all on a, we are all on a watch list. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Alden, I just want to give you Mohawk some appreciation. You told me you were wearing a cap and I'm like, hell no. I have deep (laughs) feelings for that Mohawk. So I appreciate that you got up, you went to the bathroom, you actually put wax in it. I I appreciate that a lot. Wax and shaved the sides so it looks nice and fresh. You must have done that. This is how much I care about this man. I wanted to look schmick. Well, you do. You do look schmick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just annoyed you didn't go yellow so I can't call yourself a crested cockatoo anymore. (laughs) You you told another writer I was called that the other day because he passed no. it on to me. <laughs> What's the goss? You're the goss, Holden. Well, the, the yellow mohawk I had two years ago is apparently. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't want to have a question, Holden. All right. I'm going to go with my Jerry question um, because it kind of ties into what you're saying about how Amin gets to Australia. So one of the great things about this book, actually one of the really great things that I don't know if we've said yet, is it's so fast. This is like such a fast, like, doom, 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 doom book. Cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. You have to keep turning the pages at the end of every chapter, um, which I love. Um, but one of the things I love in this is that it unpacks the kind of people smuggling stuff, puts a human face on it with a men and puts him in a setting where lots of people maybe don't care about that or aren't attuned to what's going on with refugees. So the jury part of this question is, was there any inspiration from what happened at Dome like 10 years ago or eight years ago, whatever it was. Absolutely. There's a whole culmination, I knew it. Whole culmination <laughs> of things. When I, was, when I was working at the boat builders, um, or back in well, when, I was, when I was 21 or whatever, um, there was a crayfishman who was having a bad season. He was only making a million dollars that year and he was complaining that he should really be um, bringing in people, these refugees he should be using his cray boat to pick them up and then bringing them into the shore and i remember thinking well you probably should because your boat's perfectly set up for it and it's a huge coastline no one would ever know and then in 2013 yep 60 sri lankans turn up at the Geraldton foreshore just wheeled in like just pulled up at the dome nobody's border patrol no one no one saw them and so that was a big hoo-ha there for a while and the poor buggers just got shipped back home i think they're trying to get to new zealand um and then a couple of years down the track, there's Geraldton had the biggest ice bust in Australia. So it's all these things just like everything just sits in your brain and stews and then you go and do like I went up and worked on mines and met a whole lot of people and my perspective on things got fairly shifted pretty quickly because, you know, you'd, be, you'd say something completely innocent, you thought, and someone would go, well, actually, you know, like this is why they're probably doing that. And, oh. So that's that's where whole Gabe comes from. You know, he's, he's been out there his entire life. He's never been exposed to... That's all he knows. It's the only people he knows. And, yeah, so to thrust him in this situation with a, with a whole other world, it's that whole world colliding, reluctant buddies sort of thing. So, yeah, but absolutely, you know, that, that um, boat that turned up in Jordan was definitely the one of the inspirations. I had to ask. <laughs> I, I'm so glad it was. <laughs> now, Mum Aileen, um, that's your mum, right? Mum? Yeah, we'll just call her mum. Yeah, pretty sure. Right. Hi, Mum. She said she fell in love with the dingo. And then she also says, you look amazing, Holden. Oh, Holden. thank you, Eileen. Hey, Thanks, <laughs> Mum. How do you She didn't say anything about you. I'm sorry. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> it's all right. I'm the I'm first born. I'll get used to it. If it was one of my younger brothers or sisters, they'd be getting all this. 
<laughs> you wait, there'll be a comment now. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's another comment that says, loved the pace. And that's what I was going to ask you about. I mean, the book has been described as tough, hard and fast. Was this the intention from the get-go? And secondly, how do you write a tough, hard, fast novel? What's the process? It's a two-fold question there. Yeah. Um, it was. I definitely wanted something quicker because uh, Ridgeview starts off fairly slow um, and then it, towards the last third of the book it really kicks off. Um, and then I had a bit of trouble getting another manuscript published and this is, I think this is my fourth manuscript, but I'd also written a fifth one. Um, which my agent, Alex Adset, if you're watching, thank you. She read that one, also Alan's agent. Um, she'd read that one and passed on it, but said, what else have you got? So I, I went back and handed her this fourth manuscript and then yeah, the rest is history. But one of the main feedback I was getting is, oh, it's a bit slow. The pace is a bit slow. And they were also based on things I was doing, so FIFO work and sheepdogs and all that. Uh, so this time I thought, right, bugger, I'm just going to write a, something fast action-y out there, the sort of thing Wilbur Smith might write if he was Australian, like, because I'd read most of his stuff and just, yeah, just a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> I had some great feedback from an old fellow who passed away recently, actually. He's, he offered to read my next manuscript and give some advice, and he did. And he said, look, I loved it after the first six chapters, which was like wading through treacle. And I've always had that line in the back of my head ever since then because because that's what you want. You want that honest feedback, like, it's no good people saying, oh, no, it's really good. No, it's nice, yeah. But, you know, you want that honest stuff. And, yeah, so that was one. So basically I'd write the story first, work it out how it's all going to work. I really struggled with the last half of the book, the resolution, and it all just sort of fell into place. And then I went, it sat in the drawer for a long time, went back to it and just cut all the guff out, the stuff you don't need. Even, like, I was even worried that the first four chapters were a bit slow, but it's, they're there to set Gabe up and the setting and introduce the characters. And then once it kicks off, it sort of doesn't stop. So, yeah. It's true. It's interesting that a piece of writing advice always sticks with you. You know, you get a million pieces of writing advice, but there's always one, one that sticks with you. I'm just going to do this now around the grid. Alan, what's one piece of advice that's always stuck to stuck with you? I, th I was thinking about exactly that because there's always there's always stuff going on. And somebody said to me really early on in my career, somebody said to me, the best stories are the ones where something else is happening. Um, and that really stuck with me. That it's that it's that idea of fleshing out a story. Okay, this is your idea. This is your plot. This is what you're doing. But what else is happening? Mm -hmm. What 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 can you bounce off those characters? What makes things more interesting at what makes those what helps you to draw out those characters and it and it works in these little sort of sub even a short story or in a novel you can draw up these little things and it always stuck with me the best stories are where something else is happening too mm, i love that so simple too isn't it yeah, yeah. Alden, what about you um as soon as michael said his and said you know you get those pieces of advice that stick i immediately went to mine right you do because i just remember yes yeah. it must be the one that hurts because you know <laughs> waiting through the treacle that's like oh ow um, and mine was when an agent, uh, he, for my fantasy manuscript, The Four Invisible Boys, it didn't get published. Um, he requested a full and then he read the whole thing, called me, and I thought, if an agent calls you, you, you know, yay. Um, <laughs> and it was a 30-minute rejection phone call, um, which was painful. But one of the <laughs> things he said was game-changing for my whole career. He said, your writing is competent. And it, and it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, it's just competent. He's like, yeah, it doesn't demand a place on a bookshelf. And I was like, oh, he's right. I, I, I don't have any heart, anything real in this book. So that was the bit that changed my writing forever because I went, okay, you've got to, 
you've got to do something real. You've got to put some heart into well, whatever you're doing yeah. there. Well, that's, well that's you, you, just, you just managed that with Invisible Boys. Oh. A little bit, a little bit <laughs> of heart. Tiny bit, tiny bit of emotion here and there. That was a roller coaster that I picked that up. I couldn't stop reading it. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't talk to any of my family or friends for two days because I had to get through that bloody book. I was crying, I was laughing, I was like all the so things destroying people, destroying families. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. yeah, that's that's your aim. Well, it worked. Um, mine's similar <laughs> to yours, Holden. Um, you know, I'd always thought about the technical part of writing. You know, I have come from an English teacher background as well, so it's all about technical, technical, technical. And then, you know, I spoke to Trent Dalton. He's like, "Oh, you got to put your heart and your soul on the page." And I was like, "Oh, of course you do." Like it's so, it's so obvious because when you read or watch something, you want to feel something. You know, mm -hmm. so you've got to get rid of that or not get rid of the technical. That's still important. But you really got to put that heart and the soul first. So I think ours is really similar, Holden, but it's a game changer. And I, I knew every one of us would have that bit of advice that sort of clicked and stayed with you. So it's funny that all our minds went there when you said that, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and to finish the second part of your question, um, how do you go about writing a, you know, a fast novel? I remember another piece of advice I got from John Harnham, a, a lecturer down here in Perth. He'd takes a lot of writing courses. He said the first thing you gotta remember is what happens next. That's mm -hmm. like what what happens next. Like if you're not asking yourself that, you need to wonder, well, how do I get people to ask what happens next? So yeah, between those two. That's a good one. I mean that reminds me of uh, the Neil Gaiman thing where they it was a, I can't remember where it was a library in the US. They said we've got we're redecorating, we've got this big wall and we want a we want a big inspirational quote painted on this wall. Um, so we want, and you, you know, you're so popular, one of the greatest authors. What we, what, which of your quotes would you want on the library wall to keep people reading? Um, and he came back and he said, I don't think you need one of my quotes. Why don't you just write across the wall and then what happened? Because wow. that's that's what reading is about. You know, that's what you want to be doing all the time you're reading. If you can get to a point where you're not asking yourself that, that. It, the, the books failed, the stories failed, you know, and then what happened, then what happened? And, and like with Wild Dogs, that, that truth is in there. Like you do get to the end of a chapter and then you're like, and? And you have to go to the next one. That's, yeah, that's what you want. And you, you, you nailed it with that book for sure. So. I love that. And we've got um, Louise, hello from Woi Woi. I love it when people say where they're from. So we've got people from everywhere, which is the beauty of live streaming, isn't it? And the, yeah. You can, you can uh, say hello to everyone. So that's really cool. So we've still got all these people watching and commenting and having a great time. Um, I don't know who we're up to with a question. Uh, who'd like to have a question? Who has a burning question for Michael? And don't forget in the thread, if you've got a burning, difficult question for Michael, hit us up. he's getting a bit comfortable, I think. Oh, yeah. Not screwing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Light a fire I, I can ask something because, because there's um, with, we, you touched on it before, which is why I want to come back to it a little bit, because I'm all about place, like setting is character. It's essential, you know, like without the right setting, things don't work um, or they do, but they might be a bit more superficial, you know, and the setting here with this story is fantastic. <clears throat> but, but what about the actual sort of more specific locations without going into too much detail, like the rock with the hole and, and the well that they go to and stuff like that? They're, they're just the they're fantastic settings for these set pieces. Are they real? Did you just make those up, or are they do they exist? Places like that are a dime a dozen out there. Like there's that many abandoned wells and mine shafts, and we always joked, you know, God, you wouldn't need to hide a body. There's out there. There's plenty of places you can do. I assume <laughs> there is. There's probably bodies out there. Who knows? Um, and yeah, like those ridge lines, they're all. It's just as you're driving through there. Like we went. I got. 
I was getting stuck on the manuscript when I was writing it and we went for a drive, went camping up there for a couple of weeks and just drove from sort of one end to the other. Um, and I got to, because I don't, I've never actually been to Gascoigne Junction and only sort of just passed through Carnarvon. So I wanted to go and look at these places because, as I said before, like if I haven't been somewhere, I sort of, I don't really like writing about the place because, yeah, it just doesn't seem real. But at least now I'd been there and I'd seen the, the Gascoigne Caravan Park and pub and seeing what the old one looked like before it got washed away. So I was able to include those into the place. And, yeah, so they are, it's it's like, it's pretty well realistic. So, and the good thing about that place is too, is you can have it spaced out. So you speed into the next place. So it's all quite rushed, but then you can have a quite decent casual conversation while you're having a two hour drive at 150 kilometers an hour. Like, Cause you're just trying to get there, but you, you know, you've got nothing else to do except talk for an hour. So yeah. <laughs> we've got a few more comments on the thread i love this patricia she says well done michael uh from victoria and she says eileen is bursting with seam at the seams with pride isn't that lovely and eileen has agreed that she is it's gorgeous i love mums on the thread uh robin is from pedestrian perth is that a perth joke is that a wa joke uh possibly yeah wait a while wa pedestrian yeah plain and boring i don't know um, yeah. <laughs> and uh our mate ben hobson what's up gay congratulations hey. michael ben Thank will be you. joining us uh tomorrow night for danuka's live stream so excellent i'll be doing something with ben next week i think oh interesting. having a burger yeah, possibly. Any chance you're having a burger and possibly. a beer? He hasn't mentioned it. He hasn't given <laughs> the recipe yet. I don't know if it's close <laughs> to sandwich acceptable or what. Except the uh, Ben's podcast, its name changes every week. He introduces it. Beers, burgers, books, books, beers, burgers. I don't know what this <laughs> is called. <laughs> Blokes, beers, bullshit and burgers Blokes, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Maybe that's what it'll be called when you're maybe on it. I don't know. And uh, Nola has a question for us. So we'll go around the grid. We'll start with you, Michael. Are you pantsers or plotters? I am most definitely a pantser. Yeah, to think about that. No, because it's sort of weird. I thought I heard another one. I think George R. R. Martin describes himself as a planter. Like he has this idea, a seed where he wants to go, and then he just sort of chases it and just see where it ends up, see what happens, see where it grows. Because I'm sort of like that. Because I knew how I knew how I wanted to to end. I knew a couple of things that were going to happen in it, but. I had no idea how we were going to get there. So it sort of, yeah, it sort of grew as I wrote it um, and ended up a couple of things happened that I didn't actually plan on doing. So, yeah, it's just funny how that turns out. But, no, I don't I don't plot. I, I find if I try and plot, I sort of lock myself into a, a thing. So if I've got this beautiful little plan drawn out of what's going to happen, I feel like I'd sort of go, oh, well, that's a great idea, but I've got this plan, so I've got to follow the plan. And, yeah, I'd love to know what's going to happen when I'm writing a book. It'd be so much easier. <laughs> Alan, what about you? Um, it's almost impossible to answer. I've, I've written a few books now, and honestly, I've, I've started books I didn't know how they were going to finish. I've started a book where I knew exactly how I wanted it to end and no idea how I was going to get there. Um, I, I tend to usually start pantsing and then sort of plot a bit as I go along. So I tend to sort of have, for me, books tend to be a few ideas. They kind of crash together and then it's like, okay, there's the book. That's the one I'm, that, that's how I'm going to attack this. Um, and so I'll start with it. And then as I go along, it kind of forms, it's like kind of coalesces as I'm going along where I'm going with it. So I might start with a few signposts and I'm going to try to get, between them and then as I go in I get a bit more detail and a bit more shape to it but I even if I've got 
even if I've sort of developed quite a few notes about something, if the story left turns at the lights and I'm supposed to go that way, screw the notes. I'll go always go with the story. So I've, I'm kind of I'm kind of a pantser at heart. Or as George Martin, George Martin said, architects and gardeners. Architects draw the plan first and build to the plan. Gardeners sow seeds and then tend mm. what grows. I like that. I like yeah, the architect yeah, gardener better than Yeah, so I'm kind of more the gardener in that respect. But once I see how the garden's shaping up, I might try to kind of control it a little bit. Yeah, that's I, I always let the story lead. If the story goes somewhere, I'm frequently annoyed and pissed off with characters or with plot because <laughs> I'm like, well, now what? Because that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> but I, I'll follow it because that, that's where the real story lives. That's the stuff that's coming from, you know, the back of the brain somewhere. That's the good Love stuff. Love yeah. gardener or architect? Do you know, that's the first time I've ever heard that, Alan, and I'm going to steal it because it's, it's, well, it's so... George Martin, it's not me, it's great. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's it's just yeah. it's a perfect description for what this is because mm. I, I always, I'm neither, you know, pantser or pure plotter. Yeah. I have pantsed when I was a teenager. I used to write fan fiction on the internet chapter by chapter, and that's just the worst decision to do because you just go, yeah, and that happens. Oh, and then that happens, then that happens. And then you've written like 50,000 words and everyone's read them and then you're like, oh, there's a massive plot hole. And I can't do shit about it. It's done now. I have to spend the next 50,000 words retconning all the reasons why that's not a plot hole. Um, so pantsing is just the worst idea for me. Um, so I always do a very, very sketchy Excel spreadsheet, you know, maybe two or three lines per chapter of like, here's roughly the main stuff that happens in each chapter. That's my plan. Um, and then I just run from there. So the gardener thing is really apt. Uh, you know, yeah. I have like, here's the seeds I'm going to plant in chapter 20. And that's what I'm hoping to plant. But then when I get there, who knows? I might change my mind. It might, somebody else might have grown. I might have taken a left turn at the lights. Um, I, I always think of it like I'm in a tunnel and I've got a torch and I can only see what's just ahead of me, what's in the torch light. So I can see really clearly about one or two chapters ahead. And I can see the scene, I can see the characters, and I can hear them talking and I know it all. But beyond that, it's a dark tunnel and I've got to wait till I get there. Mm, I love that. I like the idea of planting seeds, but then being prepared to rip up your garden. Yeah. yeah. It's easier to rip up a garden than to demolish a building. Yeah. So I guess the architect thing is, yeah. You get to like 30th floor of a tower block and you realise there's a problem on the 15th floor. That's a real oh, no. problem. But you plant a tree here and it should be there. Hey, that's not so tough. Yeah. <laughs> Now we have another question from Poppy G. She says, how excited were you when you got the amazing blurb from Lee Child? I, I still can't believe it because, um, first of all, I think, I think Bev mentioned it, that it reminded her of Jack Reacher, like that, mm. sort, of, that sort of book, and I thought, wow, that's, that's a pretty good comparison. And she said, well, we actually publish Lee in the UK, so I might contact his publisher and see if he'd be interested. Wow. And I thought... I'd better read a Jack Reacher book, so I did. Because I, I hadn't read any of the, his books. I'd, I'd seen a couple of the movies with Tom Cruise and I started reading the book and I thought, that's not what Tom Cruise looks like. Yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was one of the main criticisms of those movies. But, um, yeah, no, and then, yeah, no, he said, no, I'll read it. And we said, well, if you can in time, because it was a fairly short window between signing the contract and the February release. They had a spot mm. in February and they wanted to all try and push for February. They said, do you think you'd be able to get it done by February? And I said, well, yeah, it'll get done, don't you worry. It'll, it'll happen. And, yeah, so it was a short time window. No, he read it and came back with that cover quote, and I went, wow. So, yeah, absolutely stoked for – and I saw, I've saw i seen a few books since I've been looking out and that he, he's actually one of those authors that it seems to be happy to cover quote mm. people. So, 
I'd love to return the favour to someone one day if I ever get big and famous like Lee Child. I will absolutely help. Oh, hear that, everyone? Yeah, no. I'll give you his phone number and address at the end of the podcast. You try and pay it forward a bit because people do help you and I'm sure at some stage Lee was struggling and, you know, whatever. So he's probably been in the same boat at some point. So, you know, absolutely try and help people. I agree. I just think the world is too full of cynics. So just be the cheerleader. I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, the rising tide lifts all boats. It's, it, you know, success for any of us is success for all of us because it's yeah. it's all empowering people to write and empowering people to read. And I'm sure we've all, I've certainly had enormous amount of help along the way and always more than happy to, where possible, where time allows, always more than happy to push it through. It's just, yeah, why, why, be, why be destructive or obstructive when you can just like make more good books come into the world and get more, books into the hands of readers yeah. you know? you, you, if you buy someone's book online the first thing you see the next time you go is more authors like this so you know yeah. like it's it's if if someone buys your book well hopefully they go on to buy someone else's book and the reverse is true mm. also i've never known a community like the book community it is the most supportive mm. amazing community you can ever be a part of if, if the world was more like the book community <laughs> i reckon we'd be doing all right maybe we should Take the book community to Mars or something. Leave everyone else behind. <laughs> just turn Mars into one massive library and just take the. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> We're all talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Bit antisocial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holden, you got one more question for Michael? Oh, I was going to ask a real dumb question. Yeah. Um, no, there are no dumb oh, questions here. Well, no. Okay. Well, I think Gabe is a really iconic kind of character like and he's like an Aussie I don't know he looks like an Aussie icon just the way you've described him um so part of the question was going to be you know where'd you come up with him what you know what's the origin of, of Gabe part of the question is I have a bit of a man crush on his ute so yeah. not him but his ute yeah and is I know you drive you drive a highlights don't you yeah I can't afford a land cruiser <laughs> yeah, okay. So so where did where did Gabe and or the Ute come from? So the Ute came from pretty much my Ute. It's 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 a it's a Hilux with a big canopy on the back and a rooftop tent and there's a toolbox that can hold all my camping gear and a barbecue if I put it in so we can quite easily go out bush for a couple of weeks. And a fridge. It has a fridge. A fridge. It's got angle, yeah, angles. Like it's, we can quite easily go out bush for a couple of weeks. Oh, love that. Um and also the the dogger that was roaming around um, the stations when I was out there had a very similar setup. So that sort of comes from that. And Gabe as a character is just a culmination of basically all the all the old dry fellas you meet out there. They're, they're wit and they're, they're hilarious and they're dry, also a bit grumpy sometimes and quite set in their ways and don't mind telling you to bugger off if you're giving them the shit. So, which is, you know, Gabe to a T. But at the same time, they've got hearts of gold and once they get their head around an issue or something, they'll quite happily mm. change their line of thought. Um, yeah, so, you know, they're, they're, good, they're good people and I just thought it's just good to have just someone different because all, the, all, like all these action heroes, they're always an SAS or an ex-Marine or someone with this specific skill set that no one else has got. Um, so I thought, well, someone like that, like gay, like dogging is a, a skill set. Um, so, yeah, just... Something different. 
Mm. Yeah, an older dude with a bung hip as an action hero is uh, is actually really refreshing to see. You know? Yeah, and he's, I, I, he's, he's not an ex-marine or anything, you know. No. He's got a skill set, but he's just an older dude. He's got a bung hip. He's like, just piss off, leave me alone. Yep. And yeah, and then off we go. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I, like it was that attitude that kind of just makes him like he's not like a nice, pleasant version of this Aussie stereotype that we like to export overseas. You know, he's just like really like he just is fed up with that fucking everyone's shit. You know, yeah. like, yeah. enough. Because I, I love those characters like um, Wolverine in the last, in the or well, Logan in the last Wolverine, like Logan movie. I loved it. It was just fed up with everything. Just doing what he was trying to do. Like Geralt yeah. of Rivia, he's, he's not a nice guy. He's just he's just a grumpy monster slayer. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's so many of these characters, the reluctant hero sort of thing, and they just don't really want to deal with the world, but they sort of get put in a position where they have to. So yeah, it was just a good way of doing that. I think I think people are really tired of um, a lot of older cliches like chosen one cliches and yeah. action hero cliches like it's been done so much we like we like like you said a reluctant hero or an anti-hero i want to see i want to see old ladies who'd rather be knitting solving the crimes oh, but, you know, not style, but like yeah. lee child style you know i want to see an old lady put a knitting needle through a bad guy's eye instead of an action hero that kind of stuff is uh I, yeah i think it's good I'm, i thought gabe was a great character for that kind of reason yeah mm. I'm not going to read this comment because it might start um, Holden telling jokes. So you have to read Robin's comment later. <laughs> no, no, okay. I'll, I won't. That's not fair to Mike. I'll just shut up. Whatever the comment is, I won't make it. <laughs> and people are agreeing that the writing community, Kai and Nola say the writing community is the best community, and that is absolutely true. Alan, have you got a final question for Michael? Well, actually, I, I kind of got my question a little bit robbed a little bit there by by Holden because I was going to talk about i was going to talk about the you but i can be a bit more specific because i've got a crush on that you as well as this, this <laughs> part of me that thinks this is like you know my uh, my eight-year-old wouldn't last two weeks in the bush i could get in a ute like that and just um but the thing that fascinated because you know you've got you can open the back you've got the bush shower you've got the carrot water and you said you reckon you can go bush for a couple of weeks with that like how much booze and water and stuff can you carry? Like, cause this was what I was going to ask about with how like Gabe's you when he's out and about, he's like, yeah, don't worry. I got plenty of water. Don't worry. We've got plenty of booze and stuff like, like how much can you actually get in one of those utes? As much as you want, really. Like it's got a big tray on the back. So yeah, you can fit 100, 200 litre water tank to them. No worries. And extended range diesel tanks. Yeah. You go out. It's just as how much, how much you want to carry. Like, yeah, it's, Oh yeah, like, well, I've got a couple of twenty-liter jerry cans for water if um if we want to go for a long time. Like we don't we don't go out for two weeks, but you know we, we could if we wanted to. So we just sort of take our time between stops and camp out in the bush overnight. Like call up an old friend's station, slept there one night, and camped under the stars. And some of my best photos come from a gravel pit between Carnarvon and Gascoigne Junction. So, and is it solar that keeps most of that going? Like yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so set up some solar when you park up. Some people have solar panels rigged up on their roof permanent. I've just got some portable ones you just pull out and clip onto the battery and sort of dual battery so you don't flatten one so you can always start the ute. And if you have to, just start the ute and run it for a bit. And yeah, that's the go. Yeah. Sounds an amazing way to get away from the world. <laughs> we got, might an invert, got an inverter in there so I can charge the laptop. You know. Oh, wait till the uh, borders open. Alan and I, we're coming right over and we're going yeah, to we're all crash going camping, guys. We're going to yeah. sleep under the stars, plug our laptops in and ignore each other. <laughs> that's, what start, that's what started, actually. We were booked to go to New Zealand for a ski trip and, of course, that all got canned, so we went camping instead. 
Love it. <laughs> now, before we head off, I know this night is about Michael, but, uh, you know, Alan and Holden, so kind of you to share your time with us. Give us a bit of a hint as to what is coming up for you guys. Holden, The Brink, can't wait. Highly anticipated book. Tell yeah. us what you can about the book. Um, I'm being super cagey about this book because uh, I spent Love two it. years talking about Invisible Boys before it came out and then two years after it came out. So oh, I'm talking about that for four years. Be cagey um, then. So I'm just being super cagey. Uh, but it is uh, a very cool um, coming-of-age story wrapped in a kind of a uh, bunch of school leavers go on leavers and then there's a shocking murder and it completely tears their group apart and mm. changes all their lives forever. Um, great elevator so, pitch. I think you've nailed it already. Oh, really? Okay, great. That was me trying not to tell you anything. <laughs> um, so there we go. But that's out uh, start of August. So about six so that's months. That's a great elevator pitch. A great elevator pitch gets you excited without telling yeah. you much because you don't want any spoilers. So I think you've nailed it already. August. If you August, come to Sydney, I'll we're going on a cheese date. Cheese date. I'm keen. We're well, going to have a plate of cheese with a plate cheese. of cheese with a bit of yeah. plate of cheese on top. <laughs> oh, some Romano. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Perfetto. Allora, va bene, Danny. Grazie. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Alan, you have got something coming up too. Is it the fall? Yes, the fall in April. Um, fall. Last year I uh, released the goal. That's it just there, actually. Um, yes, yeah, it's five interconnected. Everybody's just like peering at the screen now. It's so far away. I should have it to hand. Um, <laughs> it's, it's five interconnected stories. I, it, it's the town of Goldpepper. The locals call it the Gulp because the place has a habit of swallowing people. Um, and it's five sort of interconnected horror mm. stories. Um, I never met a genre I didn't like. So, you know, these crime, horror, a little bit fancy. It's all kind of interwoven. They're five sort of separate stories that tell part of a tale. And it's kind of complete. There's a lot left wide open. Um, and The Fall comes out in April, which is the second set of five stories set in Goldpepper that tells five new stories and kind of ties everything together. So across both books, there's 10 stories that tell like a big sort of mosaic novel across 10 novellas contained in two books, <laughs> juggling all sorts of numbers here. So, uh, so yes, The Fall is the sequel to The Gulp. And it's Sounds out amazing. In so Wild Dogs out now, February. Then you've got The Fall in April and you've got The Brink in August. So what are you? And, quit your jobs, and, people, and just read. And, and he has another one on deadline, right? <laughs> Mike has yes. another job. You've got another book coming soon, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure. We haven't got a release date yet. I've, I've got to write the bloody thing first. But, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've got, we're, we're working on June for me to get the manuscript to her. So, wow. Yeah, I'm one of those people that needs a deadline. So I said, no, let's just leave it at June and we'll see how we go. Um, oh, it should be good. I've got, I've, I've planted the seeds, stuff came up, trimmed it back, Ooh. and yeah, just got to fertilize it now. So, sounds <laughs> like the next live streams in the back of your ute. The four of us, some cheese, yeah. oh, the back cheese, of your ute. Booze, ute. <laughs> Stars. Perfect. Wi-Fi. Is there any Wi-Fi? We need Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't be able to go far out of Perth. <laughs> Can't have it all. <laughs> uh, any final words, Michael, from you before we are in this wonderful live stream? Um, look, just thanks to everyone who sort of encouraged us for the last four or five years, whatever it's been, because yeah, Ridgeview came out in 2017 and it was a bit of a struggle to get a second one there and 
had a heap of support along the way. So Holden and the crew, the 5am Riders Club, people like Alan, um, just basically everyone in the community. And of course, wonderful agent Alex, publisher Bev and the whole the team at Penguin has been amazing. Like just the, from everyone from marketing to um, publicity to the, the graphics team, the, they did the movie trailer they did for the book. And yeah, no, the editors, they're just uh, perfect. So it's just been been a whirlwind it really has been a whirlwind i think i signed with alex in august or september and it's just been ever since so yeah i I do have to say i have never seen um a a book go from signing to an agent to appearing on a bookshelf so fast i did like you just told me that you'd signed with alex and then the next thing there's a cover and it's announced and it's coming out in february what the hell happened there like publishing doesn't work like that it's astounding no no it was because i mean like it'd been sitting in a drawer for a while so it was the manuscript was pretty polished and alex was happy with it so it got sent off as is and then bev was pretty happy with it and we did a few edits and a few things so yeah, there wasn't a hell of a lot of work to get it to the printable stage, so that was that was good. I did warn Bev that don't be expecting that for the second one. Like this, <laughs> oh, they the are. second one could well be a hot mess. <laughs> Finished in June, published in July. We're all expecting it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much to the people at home or wherever you are tuning in and spending your time with us. We really appreciate that. Michael, thank you so much for coming on to the Words and Nerds podcast slash live stream. Loved your book. I love that type of genre and I just thought it was really different, unique. So loved it, loved all of it. And thank you so much, the uh, legendary yeah. Alan Baxter for joining <laughs> us. And Holden, uh, superstar Shepherd, love your work. Yeah. Thank you for coming. See, on. Don't call me prolific. I've only got one book. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say what you were prolific at. Me- methodical is, I think, oh. the word they use. Methodical? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. I will be the very first person. Uh, at the bookshop lining up to get the brink. And I'm looking forward to the fall, actually. I remember, Alan, we spoke about that um, when we were talking last time. We so did. I'm really yeah. keen to to read that as well. So check out Wild Dogs. There's a live stream with Danuka McKenzie tomorrow if you are not sick of crime. Who's sick of crime? Everyone loves crime. Come on. Um, but thank you, everyone, so much for listening in. This will be available as a podcast later as well. Cheers, everybody. Congrats, mate. Congrats, mate. Good job. Yep. The Words and Nerds Universe content is created by many talented people. We have the usual episodes and live streams hosted by me, Danny V. There are three regular spin-offs, the popular Burgers, Beers and Books hosted by Ben Hobson, the regular Takeover hosted by Nathan J. Phillips, and a different page hosted by Josie Layton. Check the Words and Nerds website for more details. We also have Takeover episodes where an author interviews another author and they take the conversation wherever they like. Throughout the year, we also have short spin-offs like the Summer Series Takeover, the NaNoWriMo Series and the Publishing Insider Series. You can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll also find us on social media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds Podcast. Stay safe and read more books.